This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. This is the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about leadership and management with government executives and thought leaders who are truly changing the way government does business. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and leadership fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. The world is in flux. It seems every day we are dealing with a new crisis of some kind, from pandemics to man-made disasters, financial collapse, and regional conflicts. Timely and effective response to these urgent issues is hampered by the use of traditional processes that employ bureaucratic hierarchy and focus on command and control. Addressing these and other major challenges requires fast, flexible, and mission-centric responses. Agile government provides a pathway to drive such change. Agile is not a new term. For two decades, it has helped revolutionize software development but its tenets can be applied much more broadly as a new way of thinking and acting that will require significant reforms in how government is managed. What is agile government? How can employing agile principles improve how government does business? And what are the key tools and enablers to realizing the promise of agile government in action? I'll explore these questions and much more with Ed Decep, coordinator of the Agile Government Center at the National Academy of Public Administration, NAPA, executive fellow with the IBM Center for the Business of Government and author of a host of reports on agile government. Ed, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thanks, Michael. Ed, let's start off by providing some context. What is agile? And perhaps you could describe the history and origins of agile methodology. How does it differ from the waterfall approach to IT project management? Well, agile in the IT area, started at a ski resort in Alta, Utah. And the folks there got together and were terribly concerned because the waterfall method itself was not delivering good information technology projects. In fact, a lot of them were failing. And so they created a set of principles around uh, working with customers, working in small teams, iterating, delivering value and software rather than delivering methodologies. Um, and this became a very exciting, so back in 2008, I think, um, became a very exciting way of doing IT management. And we've converted it now from just IT into a broader look at the transformation of organizations. I credit uh, Steve Denning in a book called The Age of Agile for having understood the nature of the relationships that project teams and networks could provide for overall transformation of organizations. Ed, what does Agile mean for government? Well, we think that Agile is a comprehensive change in mindset, one that looks at the way currently we develop and implement policies, regulations, and programs, and changes it, turns it on its head with a set of principles, which we'll talk about as we go, and focuses on increasing competence in government, respecting public values so that we can increase trust. 
trust is the focus of agile government. We just don't do it to become more efficient. Uh, we do it to try to improve the way the public sees us as a government and try to implement the uh, idea of responsiveness and responsibility and ethical behavior, the value of ethical behavior, and openness and transparency along the way. So that's both the, the meaning of agile government as well as a sense of what we're trying to accomplish. New mindset, integration of various activities, producing trust. That's great. You, you mentioned, Ed, the principles you've developed or that have been developed. I was wondering if you could outline the principles of agile government for us. I'm going to take a couple of minutes to do this, Michael, because we spent about two years developing these principles at the National Academy of Public Administration with the help of the IBM Center for the Business of Government. And we start with the idea of organizational leaders. And here again, we have to find organizational leaders that are willing to move to a growth mindset so that they can then eliminate roadblocks and, and assume risks, empower teams to make decisions, and hold them accountable and reward them. That's the function of leadership. But at the heart of agile government is the next principle, the mission. It should be crystal clear, laser-focused, easy to communicate and understand, and constantly updated through established processes. Putting the mission in front of all of the members of the organization and allowing them to see themselves in the execution of the mission is very important. NASA does that beautifully across its various components. Everybody in NASA that I talk to can see themselves, see their work in the mission. That mission needs to be informed by evidence and evidence-informed solutions. There needs to be solid evidence for designing and implementing policy, regulatory, and program options. This can come through uh, testing, randomized control trials, or simply looking again and again and again at what has worked in the past and adopting that for the future. Before we start out in agile government, before we start out in implementing programs and implementing regulations and policies, we need to have a set of metrics. That's the next principle. These are developed using strong measurement protocols and should be benchmarks that can continuously be referred to for the success of the organization. Those four principles constitute strategy. But when we move to implementation, we see another one of the main laws of Agile, as, as Deming calls them, customer-driven behavior. Customers should be intimately involved in design and redesign of programs, and they should focus on the customer journey. The uh, president, President Biden's customer service executive order, and even in his budget, if you go back and read the budget that came out, improving customer service in the federal government is one of the three pillars of the president's management agenda. I was talking to some folks in the healthcare sector who really had not been focusing on the fact that the federal government was involving customers. Tremendously important. The next principle is creating external networks, pre-positioning organizational entities to work together and leverage the support of customers and the public. These networks are tremendously important and they have to be in position. The example I use here for networks is the National Interagency Fire Center which is a compact among five uh, federal government agencies to rapidly bring people to fighting fires 
in locations all over the United States, including Alaska, tremendously important. But these networks will work with highly empowered, skilled cross-functional teams. The teams need to understand what their mission is, have a diversity of thinking, and be well supported to address the immediate challenges and advance the projects. In doing that, they should use the next principle, which is innovation. Innovation to go beyond the current level of thinking about any particular idea, but to use new ideas and to use the next principle, which is speed. There has to be a set of deadlines that carry a sense of urgency about them so people know that things are going to get done quickly, but there is also persistent iteration where again and again, parts of the idea go back through the discussion with the customers, go back through a discussion with the public to make sure that they're fit and they prove the agency, improve the agency's competence and bring trust to the organization, increase trust to the organization. We've seen this with the Department of Veterans Affairs. I'll talk about that later on. Ed, that's wonderful. Thank you for that robust kind of outline for us uh, around the principles. You, you folks did spend a lot of time pulling those together. I was wondering from that perspective, Ed, and from your research, why should Agile become the preferred operating model across the U.S. federal government? And how can this be done? That's really where I want to focus is what would it take to make it possible? going to answer the second question, second part of the question first. Um, we believe that an agile learning program, and we're in the process of creating one now, should identify a series of learning objectives for each of the elements I just talked about, each of the principles I just talked about. And we believe that if people understand how to do proper network building, if they understand how they can be more innovative, they understand how to gather evidence, then they'll be able themselves to change their mindset and change the way the organization operates. The reason Agile should be the preferred methodology is a conversation I was having this morning about some folks in the healthcare area. And they said, look, we can't get things done. Everything is too risk averse. Everybody has to get clearances up and down the organization. We, it'll, it takes us a year to get a customer survey up. All of this embedded risk aversion and what Dr. Carol Dweek calls a fixed mindset is holding the federal government back. We need to be able to adopt a growth mindset, again, Dr. Dweek, um, about how things get done and the possibilities that are out there, the change that can be made to better serve customers and improve the trust of the public. That's terrific. So, Ed, how can we systematically and successfully apply these new, this new approaches to federal operations and programs? How can we do it? One of the things that I'm going to try to do is to work through the various councils, the management councils that are out there, and ask them this question. I'm going to ask the CIO council that. I'm going to ask the CFO council that, uh, the CHICOs, uh, the, the procurement officials, and the President's Management Council, if I get a chance to talk to them, try to infuse in them the idea that this is necessary, as I just said, uh, to get rid of the fixed notion that government can't, can't really be competent and ask them how we can apply this. Now, the CFO Council has already, in their uh, strategic planning, 
used as government principles and reference the ones we just talked about to look at how their workforce should be better developed over the next 10 years. Um, so I'll probably start with the CFO Council, but it won't take me long to get to the CIO Council and others to try to ask them to answer the question. In other words, I'm reaching out to my customers, the people who run the management agencies in the federal government, and asking them how we can best do this. Well, we're also going to need to talk to the people in the program business, and I've got some some ideas about how to do that as well. But I think that's the way we're going to best apply the new approaches to operations and programs. Yeah, excellent point. So, you know, when you when you get out there and do the educational and, and engagement with the councils and other agencies, I was wondering, Ed, what are some of the key barriers uh, that you've seen uh, uh, that um, – will kind of stop us from realizing this vision of an agile government? Um, The primary one is risk aversion. People have been so long worried about um, being wrong and being exposed for being wrong that there's a reluctance to undertake initiatives. Um, And we hope that by helping the workforce understand the importance of the learning that they need to do, we hope by making sure that new technology is brought to them and that new communication skills are given to federal employees so that they can work with their counterparts in state and local governments, their counterparts in the private sector to mirror some of the things that the private sector is already doing in terms of agile. And some of the U.S. federal government's most successful non-IT applications of agile principles have taken place during times of crisis. Um, I was wondering if you could tell us why that's the case and what's the current state of agile use principles in the U.S. federal government? I think that the idea of speed is really important and people are willing, if they've got to get something done fast, they're willing to look for ways that are innovative, ways that are creative in getting things done. Um, And so in times of crisis, COVID is a, a classic example. If you read the, the book um, about how the, the vaccines were developed, you find that the federal government worked agilely with um, drug firms. And they had been doing this before the crisis even hit. They'd been looking at RNA and DNA solutions uh, before the crisis even hit. But they had to move quickly. They couldn't wait to develop prototypes and test them and do it, but, but they had to move quickly and had to hope that they could understand on the run how things are going to work. Um, we saw the same thing, same principles in the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act. We had to get $500 billion out the door spent within 18 months, uh, given the commitments the, the Obama administration had made. We couldn't sit around and, and do um, program design and clearances and tests and so on. We had to move, and we and we moved in an agile way using the agile principles that we hadn't articulated yet, but that's where they came from uh, to do things. So crises give you the ability to use a new mindset to change the way you think about things and to use the rapid need along the way to create um, an agile organization that can get things done. 
Yeah, excellent point. Wondering what are the operational outcomes that agile government can achieve? What are some of them? Well, I think when you look at an organization, you see integration. And this is the most important thing about the integrated framework. It's called the integrated framework for a reason. What you see is people understanding the nature of their mission in a way that is intimate. You see leaders working together to create networks of organizations externally to help them get their job done. You see teams being stood up that have responsibility for making things happen. You see uh, speed. You see people who put metrics and timetables out there for getting things done, metrics, in a particular time. Um, speed. All of these things come together, and you, you, can wa- you want to watch them not just as individual operational elements, but as integrated operational elements. Um, a guy, professor, friend of mine said to me, Ed, there's nothing new here in your uh, agile government network, agile government framework. What's new is that it's integrated, that it works together, that the pieces work together. And so that's what I think is different in terms of the operational outcomes. How does the use of agile government principles increase trust in government institutions? We'll explore this question and so much more when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. To support government financial performance and accountability, financial systems must meet certain standards, and relying on outdated financial systems inhibits progress. ERP vendors are encouraging clients to move to the cloud and consider new technologies such as robotic process automation, blockchain, and AI to enhance financial productivity. Download the IBM Center Report Financial Management for the Future at businessofgovernment.org to learn why and how government can evolve to meet the demands of a digital world. The Ebola crisis in West Africa from 2014 to 2016 was an epidemic that put emphasis on global capacity to respond to international disasters. How can government better assess the needs of those affected and help them? The IBM Center Report Responding to Global Health Crisis by Professor Jennifer Widner breaks down the U.S. response to the Ebola crisis and provides insights on lessons learned that may aid the government responses in the future. Download your free copy, Responding to Global Health Crisis, at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to a special edition of Business of Government Hour, a conversation with authors exploring the benefits of agile government with Ed DeSev, coordinator of the Agile Government Center at the National Academy of Public Administration, NAPA, and executive fellow with the IBM Center for the Business of Government. Ed, you, you've done a wonderful job of explaining some of the appropriate uh, uses in the federal government for agile. I was wondering, are there any circumstances from your research or experience when it it would be inappropriate, so to speak, for the federal government to become more agile? You know, I haven't found any yet, to be perfectly honest with you. What what we have to do is try them. Um, If there's a problem, and I was listening to someone talk today about a problem that one of the agencies had that was intractable, um, and I sat there and said to myself, well, geez, if they'd only done this, 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 and that in an agile way, it would have solved that problem. So you, know, you ask yourself, well, can prisons be agile? Yeah, I think so. There's a way to deal with the whole system of incar- incarceration 
in a way that respects all of the agile principles and increases trust in the way that the system of imprisonment is created. Can, um, can federal courts be more agile? You know, I don't know the answer to all of those questions until I engage in a conversation with the people who are running these who are willing to think about whether agile principles can be applied. Um, I was just doing a lecture for a lecture panel for um, the University of Pennsylvania Law School that was talking about agile in regulation. That almost sounds like an oxymoron, but agile regulations can, according to the five people who were talking there, can, can be contemplated and may be appropriate. So if we, if we involve um, customers in regulatory design, if we involve the public in regulatory design, if we create a series of networks where the regulations are rolled out in particular ways, that we that we can see the speed with which they're adopted, we can see the uh, the nature of the evidence that caused them to come in, come into play using cost benefit analysis and other things. So I haven't found anything yet. I may may come across something. Um, I'm not sure about Congress. We, we may not go there. Uh, I could probably even organize an agile conversation for Congress if it was necessary. You know, Ed, what you just described, it kind of goes to my next question, which is around, you know, digging deeper into the trust uh, quotient. I'm I'm wondering, um, you you mentioned earlier that agile principles isn't necessarily about, you know, efficiency and effectiveness, but about building trust institutions. Um, Can you elaborate more on how that will, will happen? I think we can go back to one of my favorite examples, which is the Department of Veterans Affairs back in about 2008, I think, when the trust in the organization, especially in the healthcare area, was so low that it was corrosive. People were trying to get appointments. They couldn't get appointments. They would, um, they wanted to stop dealing with the, the VA for healthcare, and the VA wasn't able to accommodate the needs that the, their customers had and were falling behind and getting somewhat defensive about what was happening. In fact, they were, uh, we believe they were falsifying data as to what the health outcomes were and what the, um, the nature of the process was to get an appointment. Bob McDonald, who had previously headed Procter and Gamble's came in and in a very agile way created listening sessions within VA. He listened to the customers. He listened to his own people. He put a set of operating principles in front of them that were extremely agile in nature. Um, he made everybody understand the nature of customer experience. So I was talking to a former Navy captain the other day, and I asked him about this. I said, what's going on? He said, it's terrific. It's terrific. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, they're trying to help me think through the entire set of problems I have with healthcare." They're not just doing appointments for me. They're giving me a health concierge. This young woman and I can talk about all the problems I have and where the solutions are within the VA system. That's agility. That's looking at the customer's need and trying to solve the problem. Um, I think that that example, the the VA example, because trust went from 50% to over 89% in the most recent quarter that was surveyed, which ended December 30th. The entire organization was at 77%. Healthcare had gone to 89%. And VA measures trust quarterly 
and communicates openly about what's going on and talks about the things that are uh, use that they're, the, the techniques they're using to fix problems and to engage customers. It's a four or five page document. It's easy to read. So going from low trust to high trust using agile techniques is something we've seen demonstrated here in VA. And we, we think we can demonstrate it in other organizations. Great example. Um, you point out that today's government leaders at all levels need an agile mindset. And I'd like to delve a little deeper into that. What do you mean by an agile mindset? And do you have any recommendations, more importantly, on how leaders can cultivate such a mindset? I do. It, it took me a while to get comfortable with the idea that this was at the core of the problem in government, that the mindset would tended to be fixed. Again, I, I use the Carol's Week's terminology tended to be fixed and unwilling to think of new ways to do things, new solutions in which to do things. Um, I think what we're going to find is that training in applying agile mindset techniques, training in looking at particular problems and being required to think through new ways of solving them that use uh, customer involvement. The government, the government is not used to customer involvement. Uh, the president's executive order is now taking us down that very important path. Um, we then say to the people, look, you don't have to just sit here by yourself in your office. You can create an internal network and an external network that can help you look at a way to solve these problems. In the Recovery Act, we had uh, single responsible individuals in every state, including Alaska, with uh, their governor, who is uh, the only governor we didn't talk to, but anyway. Um, and we also created networks of state and local officials that we could reach out to on a continuing basis. Um, we created networks of federal financial managers and their counterparts in state and local areas. We created a, 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 an IG group, the, uh, the RAT board, the Recovery and Transparency Board, which was 10 IGs working together to understand how new methodologies, new surveillance techniques could be used uh, across the uh, 77,000 grantees that we had and across the, the, the 22 agencies that were involved. So putting people in front of a problem and then telling them, look, you've got to think of a new way to do this. And you've got to look at these principles as part of that is really the thing that we hope will change their mindsets, showing them a new path, but showing them that they've got old problems that haven't been solved yet. Uh, we're going to, again, do that through training, through the Agile Learning Program. It will be the first element of the Agile Learning Program. We're going to look for partners um, around the globe, not just here in the United States, who will take our learning objectives and turn them into learning events. Um, we find that there are different kinds of learnings that are out there. So Bill Nye, the science guy, says if I can't tell somebody something in less than 60 seconds, I can't tell some. I can't do it. I, I have to be able to do it quickly and easily. Uh, I get a, a, a missive every Sunday from Angela Duckworth, who's the author of Grit, another book I recommend highly. And Angela tells me during the week which of the problems that she had was she able to solve in a particular way. It takes me about a minute to read that. So what we're trying to do is take learning objectives, 
turn them into learning events using partners who are already in the business. And we hope to make this a significant enterprise. We're talking to several partners now, uh, some of whom you would know if I if I had partnership agreements, I could tell you who they were. But uh, it's an exciting time to invoke learning, invoke learning within the organization as a way to help people in a safe way. We, we need to tell them that this is safe. You can do this. You can innovate. You can change. And that's what that's what will be the, the, the idea of permission and safety is one of the things that will start the Agile mindset and then showing them how it works uh, in an Agile learning environment will be the other thing. So, Ed, you referenced earlier customers and why they're so important for Agile government. I was wondering if you could elaborate on that. And more importantly, or just as importantly, how do journey maps help leaders in this regard? The first thing we have to do, Michael, is to change the notion about who customers are and who the public is. Um, When I'm working with the Social Security Administration to change my password, I'm a customer. I may not like their process and and having to mail me my password back and so on, but I I respect and understand that, and I get it. They helped me to change my password. I changed it. It all worked well. We avoided any security problems. But in other situations, I'll be acting as a member of the public. So I live in uh, Springfield Township, Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, and I watch the school system and the way the school system works and how people in the school system are achieving or not achieving um, high levels of education. In that case, I'm not a customer. I don't have a kid in the school. I don't have a, um, a need to have workers working for me from the school district. But I care very much about how that operates. And so I want to be able to talk to the people in the school system about what's happening I want them to listen to me so that they can modify their behavior if appropriate, if, if what I say makes any sense. The customer and the, the president, again, and the, uh, the folks in OMB and the, and the management side of OMB are doing a wonderful job advancing the nature of customer involvement with programs in the federal government. There's a whole movement out there to look at um, important life events things that people are doing with government um, that are difficult to do. Again, social, getting a Social Security, getting Medicaid uh, is one of the important life events. Getting a student loan is one of the important life events. So focusing on these life events and seeing how to make the federal government more agile in providing service at these times. Um, again, journey mapping is a technique that's used to see where the pain points are. If I if I see this, um, I, this is not a government, it's a banking thing. I was due a refund from my credit card company and it has taken me September, October, November, December, January, February, that many months and the threat of a lawsuit to get the refund from my credit card company. That's a painful customer journey. Um, a good customer journey would have been that they realized that the, they had a problem and got a, a, some, some caseworker to help me resolve it, which is ultimately what happened. But customer journeys give us an ability to demonstrate the fact that government can be competent, that it can be trusted. 
along the way. That's terrific. Uh, good point, Ed. So uh, earlier you mentioned the importance of networks, and I was wondering, Ed, why should networks uh, form the default uh, development and implementation uh, uh, pathway for us when we're talking about agile government? What happens is a single organization has whatever authority it has and whatever leverage it has to solve a problem. But it may find that the problem has, and often finds, almost always finds, that the problem has many dimensions. It has dimensions which this organization itself can't solve. Um, again, I go back to the National Interagency Wildfire Center, and they don't have an Air Force, but the Air Force has an Air Force. And so they create an interagency agreement with the Air Force to provide support in putting water on fires. They also don't necessarily have the ability to go into a local government area and begin an evacuation process. So they create a network that includes local uh, law enforcement officials. In the case of the fire I'm most familiar with, it was the sheriff. The sheriff does evacuations. They don't have traffic patrols. So they work with the state police in a network fashion. And the networks are pre-positioned. These folks have training together and work together so that when the fire occurs, the network can be invoked. You can let people know, okay, we're coming in. We've got 1,200 people who are coming in. They're going to need to be fed. They're going to need to be and have a place for a tent. What do you got? That, that's the comment of the local community. Local community says, okay, here's what we can do. Bing, 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 and bing. And then the network communicates externally. So every night of the fire that I was associated with, it was just in my neighborhood, it was a big one. Um, every night, the, the major officials in the government agencies would go to the school and talk about the nature of the fire, whether evacuations were going to need to occur soon, what parts of the, the community might be safe and what parts might need to be uh, very wary of the need to evacuate. That communication came from a network. It didn't come from one agency. Um, it came from a network. And that network could talk with um, authority about what was going on comprehensively. So networks are comprehensive. Networks multiply the value of the mission that they're trying to accomplish. They get multiple entities to help them. If the mission is to put out the fire, or if the mission is to save people's lives, or if the mission is to save people's property, you need networks to run agencies. You can't run them unilaterally in a hub and spokes way anymore. Mm, excellent point. Uh, so, Ed, you mentioned earlier the integrated agile framework for action, which you folks have developed. I was wondering if you could elaborate on that. What factors make the framework useful in moving toward action and implementing agile government? Um, whenever I want to go somewhere, uh, I either get a map by going to um, one of the you know, Google Earth or something like that, or I get in my car and I punch in the, the thing and the map comes up. The integrated framework for agile government is such a map. It shows people different places to start, but the fact that they have to follow an integrated map of action. So I know that if I'm a leader, that I have to be able to 
get my folks motivated, get them in place, uh, have them understand what their job is. I have to take on risk of, of failure. Uh, I have to reward the people along the way. That's what I'm doing when I'm in leadership. I know that that's my job. I know that I have to work on the mission and vision of the organization to motivate people at all levels, to try to accomplish a common purpose. I'm going down the list now. So that the integrated framework says, if you do things in this order, but you also have to engage in what we call simultaneous execution. While I'm gathering evidence about what works, I have to be, also have to be talking at the same time to customers about what works and setting up a network to make it work once I figure out what I'm going to be doing. I have to create teams, interagency teams um, within the organization to be the spearhead of activity. I have to understand the nature of the innovation that I'm going to be needing, the speed which, which I'm going to, be, going to be moving, and the persistent iteration that's likely to occur. So the framework is integrated, and there's simultaneous execution that's necessary in order that the leaders and leaders at all levels, I don't mean just the people at the top, it can be people who are leading on a shop floor somewhere trying to get something done, that leaders can understand what they need to do in order to be able to increase the confidence of their organization and with respecting public values, increase trust. That's what it's all about. That's terrific. So, Ed, you know, you've done a lot of work around the vision and principles for agile government and realizing them, but you also took some time to identify some tools and enablers. I was hoping you could share with us what are some of the key tools and enablers that can help agency leaders realize the promise of your vision of agile government. Yeah, and they're necessary. They're not, these are not just uh, something would be nice to have. Number one, you have to have communication. You have to be able to talk internally and externally about what your plans are and how you're doing it. Number two, you have to have a workforce that's ready to move forward, that's trained, that's motivated, and that's sufficient. You have to be able to hire people, you have to be able to train people on what to do, and then you have to be able to make sure they get out there with an understanding of their activities and what's happening. They get the feedback from the, from the field, in terms of metrics, uh, Stanley McChrystal's book, Team of Teams, gives you the best sense of how you organize an agile workforce. So I recommend that one as well. Um, and finally, technology, the three, uh, the three uh, workforce, in any order, workforce communication and technology. The appropriate use of technology and the willingness to accept new technologies. And again, you could talk about AI, you could talk about a lot of different things. But these technologies will simplify the process that you need to undertake in network communication, for example. Um, if we didn't have things like Zoom and uh, Microsoft Teams and WebEx, we would not be able to network in the same way that we're doing now. But we didn't have Zoom. 10 years ago. 10 years ago, nobody knew what Zoom was. They thought it was just the sound a car made when it was starting up. Um, when we move to agile, when we excuse me, move to artificial intelligence, we're going to find applications that we haven't even thought of now. Um, I love it. Well, I have the editorial function on my 
Microsoft Word. And I love the editorial function. I don't use it all the time. It does. I don't agree with it all the time. But it gives me a way to think about how to change my prose in a better way. All of these tools in technology, as well as the proper use of the tools we already have, um, big data. We, already, we all talk about big data. How can we take the databases we have and turn them into information that can be used to make our programs better? So technology, communication, and workforce are the three major things that we need in order to be able to, the major enablers, if you will, of agile government. Excellent insight. You mentioned earlier, Ed, as an example, and it was around the customer focus of the success of the Department of uh, Veterans Affairs. I was wondering if there are other examples you could highlight for us and share with us that illustrate the successful use of agile government principles in action. Uh, Dave Liebrecht, who is the fiscal assistant secretary, uh, one of the few assistant secretaries for our career, talks, and, I, and when you read the, uh, the IBM report, the future of agile government, you'll find the story of, uh, of Dave using agile government principles themselves to help him distribute the uh, early payments under the CARES Act to individuals. He had, a, uh, he had a responsibility for getting cash out very quickly in order to avoid a terrible economic downturn. And he went right through principle by principle, the nature of the principles uh, of agile government. And he reports in, well, you can read it, you can read it in the future of agile government report. You can read the footnotes. It's an accountant's, um, I think it was the AGA, but I'm not sure. It was an accountant's uh, reference to how to get things done in distributing funding. And he said that without reference to the agile government principles, he would have had much more difficulty thinking about the best way to do it. But the principles themselves guided him and enabled him to get the money out. Now, there were probably problems along the way, as there always are in these things. And you and we see our friends at the PRAC, um, who are the auditors for this, starting to use what they call agile audits. These are audits that work very closely with the customer give the customer real-time information about what the customer is doing, that is the agency is doing in distributing funds or undertaking contracts or uh, moving forward with programs. So the PRAC itself has agile oversight, just as Dave has agile funds distribution. So we're seeing people picking up on the principles as they begin to learn about them and implementing. We have a couple of, uh, of agencies that have come to Agile governments that are asking for help. And we're hoping to have a case study um, soon for one or two of those agencies so that we can demonstrate how we were able to work with them uh, from the beginning. Dave just took the principles and did it himself. Uh, the PRAC did the same thing. They just took the principles and did it themselves, which is so wonderful. But I believe they also can be applied on an agency-by-agency agency basis consciously and we're hoping to work with a couple of agencies to do that what does the future hold for agile government we'll explore this question and so much more when our conversation continues on the business of government hour
How does an agency decide upon and implement a performance management framework that will be successful for their specific administration? The IBM Center Report, a practitioner's framework for measuring results, follows the implementation and results of the CSTAT management framework in Colorado's Department of Homeland Security in hopes that it can guide others who may want to institute a similar approach. Download a practitioner's framework for measuring results by Melissa Wavelet on businessofgovernment.org today. Agile methodology has allowed for agencies to keep up with the growing demands for fast response to problem solving. The Opportunity Project, TOP, serves as a catalyst in adapting agile techniques to solve complex agency mission problems. TOP works with federal agencies to identify challenges and facilitate iterative approaches in response. In the IBM Center Report, Agile Problem Solving in Government, Joel Gurin and Katerina Ribello discuss the factors of success involved in TOP. Download your free copy today at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to a special edition of Business of Government Hour, a conversation with authors exploring the benefits of Agile Government with Ed DeSev, coordinator of the Agile Government Center at the National Academy of Public Administration, NAPA, and executive fellow with the IBM Center for the Business of Government. How should an Agile federal government be promoted? Should it be promoted by central management agencies like the Office of Management and Budget, OOB, OPM, or GSA, or any of these combinations? I don't know the answer to that question because I think we're going to have to experiment. We're going to have to use innovative techniques in a variety of ways. Um, I'd love to have the folks at OMB, and they've been very, very good to us. They've uh, mentioned us in, in several places, as says OPM. Um, I'd love to have them take this up, but I want to be careful because, um, you know, be careful what you wish for because you may get it. Uh, I, I was at OMB and um, went through this cycle of implementing strategic plans and uh, getting audits done for the first time in different places. And so I know the limits of a top-down approach. I also worked with uh, Vice President Gore on reinventing government, and I learned a lot of lessons from those different things, strategic plans, audited financial statements, and actual government that made me understand the limits of what people wanted people do. People have to be motivated. You gotta wanna. It's kind of my, my, my motto there. You gotta wanna do it. And being told to do it doesn't necessarily make you want to do it. Um, I recently read the strategic management plan. I may be mis- misreferencing it of the Department of Defense. And for the first time, I saw that DOD got it. We tried to get them into GPRA when it first came up, and they were not having any. I actually did a luncheon speech once. I think it was the Association of Military Controllers, where I followed a deputy secretary of defense who told the controllers what bunk GPRA was. And I was, of course, there talking about the the great benefits of GPRA. I won't tell you. I I remember the deputy secretary's name, but I won't tell you. Um, And trying to get people to do something they don't want to do is very difficult. What you have to do is get them to want to do it. And there are a variety of ways to do that. Um, and we'll, we'll work in those ways. It will be, it, it is lovely. It will be lovelier to have support um, from the agencies. I'm indicating 
that um, agile government is a is, is a, an important way to move forward. We've seen some of that, but it's been um, been less than passionate lip service. It's it's kind of kind of more like lip service moving toward passionate lip service. So we would prefer the latter. I was wondering. So you're you're an agency leader or department leader, and you want to do this, Ed. What specific actions would you suggest they follow to or undertake to make their organization more agile? Call the Agile Government Center, and we'll we'll take the people who've been working this on this for a long time. And again, I, I credit Dan Chinnock from the IBM Center from the Business of Government for being a wonderful partner. Um, across this time. Uh, Joe Mitchell from the uh, Academy has been leading the charge. I've been uh, kind of sweeping up after the horses for him, and, and that's, that's certainly an important thing. And we've got other folks who have been, who've been working on this. We'll sit down with you and try to help you outline a plan, and then we'll work with you to talk to whoever you need to talk to. It could be somebody in Congress that you feel needs to be supportive of this along the way. It could be somebody at OMB who, again, needs to be supportive. It could be people on the, on the outside who have been critical of your operations up until now. It could be your customers. So we'll be happy, along with um, others, try to set you on the right path. That's the first thing they should do. The second thing they should do is get in the mindset change business and use various development opportunities that are out there. Uh, again, the Agile Learning Program will be one, but use others, other methodologies, ways of thinking to change the mindset in their leadership and thus change the mindset in the organization. Uh, they might start with John Cotter's principles. It's another way to start. You know, build a burning platform, build a guiding coalition, communicate. That's fine, too, to get to Agile. You, you, you said, how do you get to Agile? So you figure out a set of principles. McDonald had his own set, which were uh, Bob McDonald at VA, which were largely based on Cotter. He was a, a real uh, fan of Cotter. So am I. So there's a lot of different ways to skin this cat. I was wondering, Ed, you also mentioned earlier that you're not just focused on the what's happening at U.S. agencies. Uh, are there any examples of successful application of agile government um, from other countries that you might want to share? You know, I haven't really cataloged them yet. I've been working with OECD and been listening to uh, some of the innovations that are out there from places like Ireland, which have been there for a long time. Their customer service initiatives have been there for a long time. We've been working uh, recently with uh, Australia, and we think Australia will be taking some intergovernmental steps that move in an agile direction. But the answer is I haven't codified them yet. There is a book on agile government that was developed um, in the United Arab, Arab Emirates that tells some stories about what's going on in those areas, but it's more in the policy arena than it is in, in management and operations. We're looking, and uh, if I had a little more time, I had, I had two more uh, sets of 12-hour uh, uh, days, um, I, I'd go in and codify those with uh, OECD. I think OECD is on the cutting edge of this. Um, their innovation center as well as their trust center. And an American, Dustin Brown, is leading that effort for OECD as a, a delegate from the United States to uh, the OEC management area. 
Ed, would you tell us more about the history and mission of the Agile Government Center? How does it work to advance Agile Government, and what are its strategic priorities for the next year? The Agile Government Center was created about three years ago, and it's a partnership between the IBM Center for the Business of Government and the National Academy of Public Administration. We have a series of about 50 people who are part of the Agile Government Network, which meets quarterly to discuss issues. Our most recent meeting was discussing the report, The Future of Agile Government. But prior to that, we had uh, customer service. We had Steve Denning talking about the nature of Agile transformation. We try to, uh, with these members of the network, create the principles first. That's the first thing we did. We then try to validate the elements in the Agile Government Network. And that was that's that's been done. And we'll begin using them. Our, our, our future, I've talked about this earlier, will be to take the roughly 18 elements in the framework and create learning objectives for each of these, which can then be turned into learning events so that the ideas around agile government are disseminated to agencies across the world. Gathering our partners, we're looking at partners in uh, Southeast Asia, in Europe, as well as in the United States. And we expect that network to be built. We're starting small, but we hope and believe that that network will be built robustly and we can put in place the dissemination of agile government principles through our partners in this way. That's what we're doing this year in agile government primarily. We're also delivering a series of programs to the White House Leadership Development Program, to FEI, to the Australian New Zealand School of Government um, that will hopefully uh, light some, if not fires, at least candles uh, to try to get actual government in a lot of different places. That's terrific. So uh, picking up on that, Ed, globally, uh, what does the future hold for the realization of, of agile government? I don't know. It's one of those things where you, you start out, you, you start out doing something and you continue to be, to be surprised about what happens along the way. Um, I had a lovely conversation with some folks at Arizona State University the other day, and they um, had four or five things that they wanted to do to help advance the cause of agile government. I mentioned the University of Pennsylvania uh, regulatory program uh, wanting to advance in a real way. They've commissioned four or five more essays in agile regulation. So there's a serendipitous nature to the expansion of something like this. And we're just, I, I just try every day, um, you know, a few hours a day, seven days a week to try to figure out new ways to make this work. So I'm sitting in, in my office one day um, and I get this email that says, would I, would I come to the National Academies of Science um, and Engineering to talk about healthcare communication. I said, what? What do I know about healthcare communication? And I then realized that they had been reading the agile government work and they realized that as a government, they had to move beyond the way they were doing communication now and that there may be something in the agile methodology that would in fact advance that. And so after I talked to them, um, I agreed to do the session. It's a closed session in Washington, D.C., but there'll be a report. And I just finished uh, a conversation with the other 
panelists. I'll, I'll be the presenter, and then there'll be a series of panelists who will comment on it. And it was stunning how well they could see the – some of them were just um, not ready yet to realize that government could be less risk-averse, that government could be agile. They're willing to be convinced, but they're not there yet. So this serendipitous nature of I'll be sitting down with 60 people, uh, 30 of whom are federal agency uh, representatives in the healthcare arena, and 30 of whom are outside uh, academics and practitioners and so on, and talking to them about Agile. And something, a, a seed may grow. A tree may grow in Brooklyn. We don't know. But we keep, we keep watering the tree um, and uh, providing fertilizer. Well, Ed, I want to thank you for joining me today. And how can folks, if they are interested, get in touch with the Agile Government Center? Uh, go to the National Academy of Public Administration's website, and you will find on the top of it uh, a button to click for the Agile Government Center. Wonderful. And I, I know I'm going to make a plug for all of your great reports on Agile Government that's hosted at our site at businessofgovernment.org. Thanks again, Ed. Michael, thank you. This has been a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with Ed DeSev, coordinator of the Agile Government Center at the National Academy of Public Administration, NAPA, executive fellow with the IBM Center of the Business of Government, and author of a host of reports on Agile Government. Be sure to join us next time for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government leadership and its effectiveness. Until then, subscribe, download, and listen to the entire interview at Podcast One, iTunes, or on your favorite podcast app, and as always at businessofgovernment.org. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan, and thanks for joining us. How can government best use big data to transform decision-making, public services delivery, and communication? The IBM Center Report, Integrating Big Data and Thick Data to Transform Public Services Delivery, by Yan Yan Ang, presents five recommendations for public managers introducing the concept of mixed analytics, urging thick data, meaning qualitative information about users, to be presented alongside big data to improve government decision-making. Visit businessofgovernment.org to read more. Each week on the Business of Government Hour, government executives and thought leaders join host Michael Keegan for an informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government and its effectiveness. These individuals are truly changing the way government does business. So join them each week on the Business of Government Hour. Find out how the business of government isn't business as usual. The Business of Government Hour, every Monday at 11 a.m. on Federal News Network.